following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in history of forever. I'm Zach. Matt. And this is episode number 32, A Brief History of the New World Order. Yes folks, that's right. We're back into the wide wonderful world of professional wrestling for the first time in 20 or so episodes. (laughs) By popular demand. (laughs) Yeah, I mean our episode on that Monday Night Raw went really well. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Everyone was eager for us to dip our toes back into the wrestling world. A lot of people didn't uh, specifically mention to me that that was the one, the one and only episode they skipped. <laughs> well, those people can go fuck themselves. <laughs> buckle up, because there's yeah. a lot to digest. This is in this like one. a this is a good one for people, you know, who may not. It's like a like kind of an abbreviated history lesson of one of the you know, bigger things to happen in wrestling yeah, ever. And in the 90s in general, really. Yes. And so, yeah, we have a pretty jam-packed episode, so we're going to jump right into it. First, I'd like to say you can follow the show on Twitter, <laughs> at GreatestPod. You know, email us. Not that... I don't even remember what our email is, so forget that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Tell your friends. And something I'd like to start mentioning in every episode is... We have a lot of um, early episodes that right now are just not going to be in our feed any longer. And with each new post, one less episode is going to pop up in our feed. Because right. for some reason, we can only have 20 episodes in it. So now, with this being our 32nd episode, we're going to have 12 episodes no longer in our iTunes feed. So if you want to listen to an episode of The Wonder Years or Adventureland, go to Greatest Moments. What is our website? dot podbean.com yeah maybe we can get like a blog going or something not that we post on but just to put the episodes up on have like the full catalog well that's what's on podbean though. all right and you just that thought- is our blog then okay. if we're not going to actually have any of the blog entries greatest moments dot podbean.com so check in to there. get our old episodes <laughs> and also subscribe on itunes <laughs> right okay so let's get right into it we got let's a lot get to into get- it and i do want to <laughs> say too it's like for people that want to like shit on wrestling at all, it's like to pretend that like the wrestling that was going on in the late nineties wasn't a significant part of pop culture. They're crazy. Well, also, you know, everything in the world is pro wrestling at this uh, yes. point. We got Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. I mean, come on. Cutting promos on each other. <laughs> Politics, sports, right. everything takes its cue from pro yes. wrestling. Yes. You're always like, is this a work or a shoot? Actually, just go ahead and watch Wrestling Isn't Wrestling, the YouTube video. (laughs) That'll help explain it better. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, on May 27th, 1996, Scott Hall, who previously wrestled in the World Wrestling Federation as Razor Ramon, emerged from the crowd and entered the ring as two nobodies, the Mahler and Steve Dahl, wrestled a meaningless match live on WCW 
World Championship Wrestling's Monday Nitro television show live in Macon, Georgia. The match immediately came to an end, and Hall called for the ring announcer's microphone. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Are we going to get security here? Where is billionaire Ted? Where is the nacho man? That punk can't even get in the building. Me, I go wherever I want, whenever I want. And where, oh where, is Scheme Gene? Cause I got a scoop for you. When that Ken doll look-alike, when that weatherman wannabe comes out here later tonight, I got a challenge for him, for billionaire Ted, for the nacho man, and for anybody else in uh, WCW. <laughs> Hey, you want to go to war? You want a war? You're going to get one. Fantastic. What about the match? I don't know what to say. Randy Anderson's coming. Randy? Randy, what's going on here? What about the match, Randy? What, what, what's going on? The match is, match, fans, we got to go to a break. I, the match left! I have no idea what to say. Stay with us. Sweet. And so began perhaps the greatest angle in professional wrestling history. The only storyline ever to truly threaten Vince McMahon's supremacy in the world of sports entertainment. This was the start of the NWO. Hall did not waste any time. During his first appearance on WCW television, he challenged World Championship Wrestling at large to a war. Appearing again the next week, Hall promised a big surprise. The next week, he delivered as former WWF champion Kevin Nash, who had been wrestling for McMahon under the name Diesel, joined Hall. I don't want any trouble with you. I don't want any trouble with you here now. But I have to point out, you came out here last week. Where is it? The big surprise. I mean, I heard a lot of talk, but where's the walk? What? I'm here. Where is it? You've been sitting out here for six months running your mouth. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. We ain't here to play. So the thing that was intriguing right off the bat is they get two prominent big name WWF wrestlers to just appear out of the blue in blue jeans and yeah street clothes. Yeah. That's well, yeah, that's important. Right. Street yes. clothes and coming from out of the crowd, and you know, 
back in the 90s before the internet was like super prominent and everyone had access to all of the uh, insider dirt sheet contract stuff. situations yeah i mean I, i'm sure there was a lot of people kind of blown away by this it was it was a big shake up to what they were used to right um and the invasion storyline which you know the nwo would turn out to be is something that has had been done before and has been done since it's kind of one of the you know, it's not like a standard storyline. They don't do it a lot in professional wrestling, but it it's something that does happen. Right. And this was obviously the most successful by a mile. Yes. And I think what, what made it significant was, A, Hall and Nash had been working on WWF television almost... Oh, like Hall, just a week before he showed up, and Nash had ended up being like a couple weeks before. So, I mean, this was like a, an immediate turnaround. Of right. just like, which later during the Monday Night Wars between WWF and WCW would become more common, people showing up on the next week on someone else's show. But previously, it didn't quite work that quickly. And so, you know, this was like, again, people were not sure what was happening. Were these guys still a part of WWF? Was this real? Well, and the difference with uh, Hall and Nash... Because WCW had kind of been collecting some of the older WWF guys for the the preceding years, but Hall and Nash were kind of like in their prime as stars at this Correct. point. So this was like a big get for WCW. Yeah, and they brought with them a new level of violence and realism that like wasn't the norm. They used right. weapons, bats, chairs, etc., Sneak attacks. And as you know, you just heard in the clip, a loose grasp on the English language. Right. <laughs> the adjective. No. <laughs> play. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if, if anyone didn't pick it up, <laughs> play is not actually an adjective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a famous Although clip. Although I've seen people like defending that online as if like it was said intentionally. But I'm like, well. Which I guess that is the great thing about wrestling is you can just say, oh, well, I I was meant to look stupid there, which is like. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. No, I mean, I'm sure it? people have some kind of weird right. thing about that. And so the implication here with this initial invasion storyline is that they want like WCW and um, its vice president, Eric Bischoff, who was kind of running the show wanted the viewer to think that possibly these were WWF guys and that this was going to be a WWF versus WCW thing without right. saying that they were trying to avoid being sued, which of course they eventually were uh primary. One of the primary reasons being that Scott Hall was kind of still doing his shtick, his razor Ramon gimmick without calling himself it. But, um, this all started to, uh, you know, lead towards a um, a match at the at the uh, big July pay per view bash at the beach, in which Hall and Nash would team with a mystery partner, as of yet unrevealed. Who's the third man? And they were, you know, challenging uh, Ted Turner and WCW to give them their three best guys, and you know they would have this big She's, showdown. Uh, Sting. It ended up being Sting, Luger, Macho and Man. Macho Man, yeah. And of course, like in addition to the Invasion storyline being something, mystery partners in wrestling, of course, huge. Oh, yeah. One of the big fun things is like you don't know who 
He's Big gonna, uh, mystery dis- opponents, mystery partners, etc. Discussion point. Now, at this point, like pre-Bash at the Beach, pre-calling themselves the NWO, had you seen any of this as it was happening? No. I remember I was a big WWF fan, and I occasionally would flip over to Nitro like half-heartedly during like Raw's commercials and stuff, but I didn't really care. And then I think I just happened to catch Scott Hall in the ring one time, which they probably did on purpose. They probably scheduled that to happen during a Raw commercial. Not a, not a joke at all. I'm sure that was 100% on purpose and i was so depressed by this at first because you had no idea no i didn't know that razor ramon had left and he was like a guy that i liked in wwf and i was like what is happening and then when diesel shows up a couple weeks later i was like what the fuck is happening like why (laughs) is this happening to wwf like i couldn't I was just like, this is horrible. This is the right. end. Like, Diesel and Shawn Michaels were my favorites. Were those guys, uh, at the, the time that they left, were they uh, world title level guys? Uh, well, S- Razor Ramon never won but, the world title, but Diesel uh, had. Diesel, yeah. Yeah. He, he won it on a house show, right? Yeah, against Bob Backlund. I think he just held it the one time. But yeah, he was like kind of at the main event level. Uh, Razor Ramon, mm-hmm. like just underneath that. Yeah. Um, yeah, Scott Hall slash Razor Ramon never held a world title anywhere. Forget about the past, Chico. Let's worry about the future. We want to know who your three guys are. Is it, is it the uh, Nacho Man? I don't think so. And what about, what about the immortal Huckster? You know, you tell billionaire Ted to break out the money and get anybody you can because the big man and the medium-sized man and our surprise buddy are going to carve them up. I want to ask you a question right now. He's had his say. Who are they, man? Who are they? Come I on. can't tell you. I'll tell you tomorrow night on Nitro. That's the deal. You can't tell us? You don't jack us around. Don't jack Oh, for crap. Whoa. What are they doing? Security! Get up there right now! Get security up there! On July 7th, 1996, at WCW's Bash at the Beach pay-per-view in Daytona Beach, Florida, the world of professional wrestling would be changed forever. The main event was a six-man tag team match billed as the hostile takeover match, pitting Team WCW, which was comprised of three of the company's top babyface wrestlers, Sting, Lex Luger, and the Macho Man Randy Savage, against Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who are now referring to themselves as the Outsiders, and an unnamed mystery partner. Hall and Nash came to the ring by themselves while Team WCW was at full force, creating sort of a three-versus-two handicap match. Shortly after the match began, Luger was injured and was taken away on a stretcher. This made the match a traditional two-versus-two tag team match. Approximately 16 minutes into the match, with all four men down on the mat, Hall and Nash's full plan would be revealed. Hulk Hogan is here! Hulk Hogan's here! Hulk Hogan is in the building! You're damn right he is! Go get him, Hulkster! Yeah, but whose side is he on? Go, what are you talking about? Whose side is he on? What are you talking about? Yes, sir! Get him, Hogan! Go get him, baby! Come on and get some of this now! Who's bad now, boys? 
Hulk Hogan arrived. Hulk, Hulk, Hulk. What is he oh doing? Oh my God! Is he the third man? He's the third man. What oh. the hell is going on here? Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW. He is the third man. Look at this. this picture. Oh my God! What the hell is going on? Oh my God! Are you kidding me? I, probably the lowest shot ever given to professional wrestling. That man did right there, Hulk Hogan. Let's get everybody out of the dressing room right now and kick his rear end. Unbelievable, brother. You just what sold your soul to the devil. Excuse me. Excuse me. What in the world are you thinking? Me, Gene, the first thing you need to do is to tell these people to shut up if you want to hear what I got to say. with you for so many years for you to join up with the likes of these two men absolutely makes me sick to my stomach and I think that these people here and a lot of other people around the world have had just about enough of this man this man and you want to put yourself in this group you've got to be kidding me well the first thing you got to realize brother is this right here is the future of wrestling. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. These two men right here came from a great big organization up north, and everybody was wondering who the third man was. Well, who knows more about that organization than me, brother? Okay, so this was the big moment hulk hogan revealed as the third man turns heel for the first time basically i think he had worked heel like a long time ago inspiring hulkamania but... uh just trash to be thrown <laughs> <laughs> yeah this was like a this was a different era just not only for wrestling but for america in general where the idea of throwing garbage into the ring seemed acceptable but it is I mean, it's a reaction that they loved to get because that it was heat. Yeah, it actually. Uh, it's weird to think of people actually caring that much about a good dude turning bad. Yeah, I mean, you hear to stories of the old like territory wrestling days and like you know old ladies hopping the barricades with knives and right. stabbing wrestlers and stuff like that happening. <laughs> like you know, shit used to be real to people. Couldn't happen now. I mean, I just can't no, think of I, any situation where a good character would turn bad and people would be like angry, like this visceral, like, fuck you. <laughs> like, well, it's interesting, too, because a lot of WCW's fans at the time hated Hulk Hogan. Right. Before it, he turned heel. His whole gimmick had gotten old. He was just lame. Yeah. In addition to the fact that he was not of that Southern wrestling, he was oh, yeah. a WWF a product guy. of the North, yeah. And they weren't, they never, a lot of them never really accepted him in general. He was kind of like Roman Reigns, like now. Maybe the boos weren't as bad back then for Hogan, but there were definitely boos. You were starting to hear boos right. for like the yellow and red Hulk Hogan in WCW. Yeah. So it's like a lot of those guys probably wanted him to turn heel anyway. And then 
I even as a twelve year old, which I was, I think at the time, I still doubted the sincerity of people throwing trash in the ring. I felt like maybe it was one or two people, and then it became a thing. Right. Yeah, that's as possible. soon as you see right. other people doing it, because that was the kind of the attitude. Like it was a wilder time in the nineties. I feel like it was like the Wild West. A little, a little bit. bit, yeah. South Park, Jerry Springer, <laughs> Attitude TV Era. TV was like crazy for sure. What? Like TV was yeah. just like crazy at the time. Everything, there was a very like heightened sense of violence and sexuality yes. like everywhere. Oh, yeah. In like the, especially as we you got closer to the year 2000, like the later in the 90s you got, it got like turned up. And then it lasted a little bit after that and then... Janet Jackson's nipple came out and everything. Ruined everything. Yeah, I mean, everything changed after that. Yeah. (laughs) And wrestling was definitely, like, reflective of the time period. Um, It was wilder and stuff. Yeah, it's weird, too, like... I mean, this is, like, one of the things you get into of, like, wrestling being fake. But we're supposed... We want to try to believe uh, the story on screen as much as we can. But it's like, what is the... fake plan here we have this third partner but he's not going to come out until right time after the match is over (laughs) like well i i saw i recently saw like a little bit of a shoot interview with hall and nash where hall kind of said that hall kind of blew it a little bit they were supposed to get the one two three oh okay because they basically just end the match when he comes in right but if he's technically the third guy he can drop the leg on Macho Man, which he does, and then they could go for the pin, and that would be it. But that never happens. Right. It just kind of ends. I mean, it didn't really matter, though, in the end. Well, I know. Because the match was meaningless. Yeah, I know. But I'm just saying, you start thinking about the plan, and you're like, well, so they were going to be down three guys to two. I mean, what if... Yeah, what if Luger doesn't get injured? (laughs) Yeah, it is really convenient. And that kind of goes back to a little bit of what I was saying before. Um, The NWO... Like when it was initially like Hall and Nash, uh, which they they would hold off the entire WCW roster by themselves, and it really made WCW look weak. Were they going by the NWO at all before no, the ho- no. before the right? They're just the outsiders. Yeah, well, yeah, they, I don't even think they officially became the outsiders until like right before Bash at okay, the Beach. Okay. Um, but what I was gonna say was at least when they booked that hostile takeover match at Bash at the Beach, they had the foresight to think oh, well, we should have one of the WCW guys get eliminated from this match somehow because we've really made WCW look weak. If these two guys are just holding their own against the three top guys the whole time. A trend that would uh, continue. Yeah, I mean, they they booked Hall and Nash and obviously Hogan to be strong, which was good. They needed to be. They needed to be this insane threat. But I think, I mean, it got so carried away. And, I mean, one of the recurring problems that we'll probably get more and more into as we go is just the good guys never win. Right. It just was like it never ended with the NWO. Like It just was like they never ended up getting revenge. Like WCW never got its revenge. Like it never came out on top. It always lost. And that's not how you book good wrestling in the long run. Right. There should be some sort of arc to the story. Things should come full circle. And just, you know, in that clip that you just heard, uh, I just wanted to point out um, Bobby Heenan, the legendary Bobby Heenan, one of the greatest ever in anything, (laughs) usually regarded as one of the greatest talents ever because he could work. He was a great manager, great commentator, great everything, hilarious. But he almost blows the biggest moment here as he says, which side is he on as Hulk Hogan comes out? It's like, dude, what are you doing? You're supposed to act like he's going to save the day. No kidding. 
the other two are kind of just like the other two react kind of violently to it like what do you mean like trying to shut him down like right away right whatever it didn't blow it it didn't matter this was such a monumental thing that nobody i don't know if anyone saw coming like i don't think when people thought that they had a mystery partner that it was going to be hulk hogan i don't i mean i was like i said i was 12 i don't know what people were well i watched some of the stuff leading up what i went back through and watched a bunch of these nitros because i hadn't seen uh the evolution of the nwo and I will say, like, in the Nitros leading up to this, I, I don't think Hogan was around, like, no, at he, all. He, he had, had been, been gone like, for, like, off screen six for, like, months, yeah. I think, before this. Okay. Because like, he was, this was that weird, horrible time period for Hulk Hogan where he was filming a lot of terrible bullshit that oh, no one ever cared like about. Three Ninjas, High Noon at <laughs> Mega Mountain. Well, no, that would actually be once the NWO started. Oh. But, yeah, like, um, Thunder in Paradise, is that what it's called? Or? Uh I don't know. Something a like lot that. of like, because part of his Nanny. WC, yeah, part of his original WCW deal, and and one of the reasons he, when he left WWF, that he ended up deci- deciding to sign with WCW when he originally was acting like he was out of wrestling for good, was because they were gonna offer him all of this acting work through Turner, and so he'd like a show I think that aired on TNT that was very short lived. Which but, I mean, do, I mean, do you even remember any of his movies at this point? I mean, other than you mean he, of his whole career or of this era, his yeah. What movies? I I remember like his movies by name, but I don't. No really, holds barred. Yeah, I remember the wrestling one, and then Suburban Commando. Right. I, yeah, um, but I can't even. I can't mis- remember. Was it was Santa with muscles? Was one. Oh, of them? I haven't seen that. I saw No Holds Barred and Mr. Nanny. Right. That was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was actually, I think, maybe the most successful. Right. But I, I, I like can't really remember the movies at all. Oh, they were terrible. Right. They were just. Absolutely. I saw him when I were kids, but like no retained memory. Well, of no him. holds barred is cool for what it is, but it's not really like a Hulk Hogan as an actor kind of right. movie. That was made like in the late eighties and was like a wrestling yes. thing. Whereas like the other things were these shitty straight to VHS a lot of the time kind of deals. Maybe a, maybe like a couple of them had brief theatrical runs. He but never got hooked on to like a big franchise like The Rock was able to do with well, multiple franchises at this point. Well, yeah, The Rock right out the gate was involved with the Mummy franchise. Yeah. So, I mean, he was, you know, locked right in. But anyway, The Rock, much better actor. <laughs> the NWO storyline was an idea created by WCW Executive Vice President Eric Bischoff, whose inspiration for the angle came after attending New Japan Pro Wrestling's Battle Formation show at the Tokyo Dome on April 29th, 1996. The show was headlined by a New Japan Pro Wrestling versus uwfi match for the iwgp heavyweight championship as new japan's shinye hashimoto defended defeated uwfi's nobiko takata bischoff wanted to do an invasion type angle where wcw was being sabotaged by another wrestling group the early insinuation in the nwo angle was that the invading group was the wwf or at the very least a rogue component of that company the NWO's founding members had previously been employed by the WWF and had last been seen on WWF's programming, so the logic worked. In truth, both Scott Hall and Kevin Nash had signed exclusive contracts with WCW, which gave them guaranteed money and fewer working dates than their WWF deals. So this kind of this angle, which hotshotted WCW to the top of the wrestling world for a while is what basically kicked off the Monday Night Wars for real. Nitro had been on since, I believe, 
the fall of 95, which was approximately, this is like all approximately, but approximately two years after Raw had debuted on Monday nights. Nitro kicks off in the fall of 95, goes head-to-head with WWF, which was a shocking, bold move by Turner and everyone involved. Um, they didn't have to compete head to head. No, I don't. What made him so passionate about this? I guess he was just like a wrestling fan. He just wanted to compete with Vince over yeah. this. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was. You know, they wanted to take on WWF directly for some reason. Um, I guess the idea was that if they put their flagship show on another night. That was conceding that they were the lesser of the two companies. Because before right. Nitro, before they signed Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and a lot of the, WWF's guys, they were far and away <laughs> behind <laughs> WWF. But it's like even like guys like Mean Gene and stuff, they, they just signed him straight from WWF. Like, Correct. So they were just taking... And just anybody. Like Miss any Elizabeth. Yeah. Any personalities they could take. Pretty much. And they're, I'm assuming they were paying them all more money than they were making at WWF. Yeah, and also um, some of the older guys like Hulk Hogan and, and Randy Savage, I I think Vince had wanted to start phasing out anyway. Right. Because I think he at the time he thought that they were too old. I think he's obviously since changed. You know, he still lets Undertaker and Triple H and those guys wrestle now. Right. But like, Well, Undertaker is like his prized creation. Well, yeah, plus his most loyal guy. But yeah. um. Yeah, the idea of like the billionaire Ted character, which they parodied during one of their WrestleManias on WWF, they parodied like the Nacho Man and the Huckster uh, and Billionaire Ted. I was confused about this a lot. It, Hogan refers to him as Billionaire Ted, right? Like a lot of people do. It was kind of a thing they like threw. Wrestlers around. did. Not, I mean, not like you wouldn't hear the commentators say that, right? No, no, no. It was, it was. Even though that seems like a compliment, it was meant in a derogatory way, right? Uh, but like, I swear, like. I would get mixed up because when I was watching these nitros, when Hogan was saying oh, he it, was talking about Ted DiBiase, Ted DiBiase, which was a play on I think the WWF had been making fun of oh, okay. billionaire Ted I, Turner. I, yeah, that's what I couldn't figure out because when I was, it's it gets very blurry. Because that's weird. the thing, I would hear it back in the day, and I didn't even know who Ted DiBiase was when I watched it back in the day, and I just thought Hogan was talking about Ted Turner, and I thought I, I was like, oh, Ted Turner's like. A part of the end, like involved in the NWO too, and then and then I realized watching these back, that he's talking about Ted DiBiase, but that yeah, then there's other because it, it, it's also a play on Ted DiBiase's WWF character, right. the Million Dollar right. Man, which they could not use Million Dollar Man, so they would just refer to him as Billionaire Ted, right? Which or was a, which was a parody Ted. of the WWF's sad attempt at make mocking WCW from a, a year or two right. earlier when okay. they did the Huckster Nacho Man Billionaire Ted thing, which yes. is like a skit that they did during a WrestleMania. It was okay. terrible because there's a lot of that, and we'll see even with some other characters that come over, like the names are all like references to things. It's it gets very weird, but this NWO thing definitely, like I said, kicked off this Monday Night War, and in a lot of ways pushed the WWF to change dramatically because it started to get um, pretty dire pretty quick. As I referenced, you know, earlier in one of the monologue things, uh, this was the only thing that ever truly threatened the WWF, their existence overall, because they started to just get killed in the ratings like week after week after week. And at one point by a lot and, it was a clear message that wrestling fans were sick of the cartoony 
gimmicks that WWF had been doing, like the wholesome family friendly entertainment. The characters being like everyone is just like a carpenter or (laughs) a dentist. Garbage man, (laughs) dentist, clown, hockey player. Yeah. Um well yeah, and it was very family friendly. And even though by today's standards what WCW was putting on could still probably fall under T V P G its level of there were nitro realism girls. and violence was much more intense than what was going on in WWF at the time. And it pushed forward this attitude era, this increased reliance on violence and sex to, you know, sell wrestling. And, you know, it, it led to the Degeneration X, which was kind of just a version of the NWO, really. Right. And which it's you know funny enough like the two guys at the center of DX the original DX were friends with all part Paul of the same Nash. group yeah, yeah. they're all buddies it was all a takeover and then you know like ECW which also influenced both companies to become more violent and rely on like you know realistic kind of steel chair headshots yeah. It was escalating very quickly, you know, and it eventually led to Chris Benoit murdering his family. (laughs) (laughs) So it all ends happily. The New World Order launches its final attack. The World Heavyweight title could land in enemy hands when the traitor Hulk Hogan seeks to destroy the Colossal Giant. Sting and the Total Package have a common goal to demolish the outsider invasion. Plus, we're going to take you places you've never been before. It's WCW's Hog Wild, Saturday, August 10th, live and only on pay-per-view. In August of 96, Hulk Hogan, who had by then added Hollywood to the front of his name, challenged the giant, now known as the Big Show in WWE, for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship at Hog Wild pay-per-view. Hogan won the match by using the title belt as a weapon and then proceeded to spray paint the letters NWO across the gold faceplate of the title. In the coming days and weeks, the NWO began to expand, first by bringing in Ted DiBiase, who wrestled in the WWF as the Million Dollar Man, as its fourth member, and then by adding the Giant himself, the first defection from WCW. So originally, Ted DiBiase was brought in as kind of like a mouthpiece and also had a kayfabe role because they were really trying to go, they were mixing this kayfabe reality thing where like, this is real, these guys are really invading, but at the same time, they were like, well, it doesn't make any sense. Why can't we just keep them out of it? Like, this is WCW, it's a company. Yes. We can ban them from this, blah, 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 blah. So then they came up with this kayfabe explanation of billionaire trillionaire ted who in kayfabe it was the million dollar man which in reality ted dibiase was not like a super rich guy he was just a wrestler (laughs) but like the idea was that like he was bankrolling the whole thing he was the one signing nwo guys he was the one paying for their advertising time whenever they did their paid segments and whatnot and somehow paying someone to let them in the building whatever any given location well you know there may have been crimes committed right but, you know, then Hogan wins the world title, so now he's officially the champion of world championship, world championship wrestling, but he's part of this rogue faction taking it over. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, there'd be a, a lot of contractual and sort of kind of business ethic issues with what's happening here. But 
Ted DiBiase is he known historically for being uh, a great on mic personality? Because I watched some of this stuff when he was the mouthpiece for the NWO, and I, I wasn't uh, loving it. um i think he wasn't bad i don't think his heart was ever in this i don't really think he particularly had fun doing this i mean he was old and had retired how much do you think he got paid for his part of this i don't know enough do you think he got was it like a buy appearance thing do you think he had a contract yeah wrestling contracts were a lot weirder back then um because he didn't really do a lot i mean he would he would appear but it's like, I mean, I would have loved to collect whatever paycheck he was getting for doing this shit. Well, there were a lot of guys yeah. eventually in the I'm NWO sure, who I'm were sure. collecting those kind of deals. And the NWO antics all through this time period was to interrupt the broadcast, the WCW broadcast. Like, WCW would come on the air for Nitro as if everything was fine. It would start up. It would have regular matches, regular storylines that didn't involve the NWO. And usually at some point during the course of the two-hour program... They would be interrupted. There would be a sneak attack. There would be people laid out with chairs and then spray paint on their back. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Coming through the crowd, although eventually the NWO got its own theme music, so they started to come to the ring in the more traditional sense. You know, sometimes there'd be an attack in a parking lot. They right. would drop pamphlets from the sky. They would tear down things. They would attack the commentating booth. They would attack the referees. And, like, all of this stuff was super popular. Yes. They got booed and trash was thrown at them, but they were also the hottest thing in wrestling. Yeah, basically. they would get booed and trash was thrown on it. Yet you'd look around the arena and it was like 80% NWO t-shirts. The NWO t-shirt was the greatest thing that WCW probably ever did. Their logo became pretty iconic. Um, and WCW in general, not really known for its shrewd merchandising. merchandising. They dropped the ball on so much shit during their entire history. Most of the wrestlers never really got much money from merchandising, which was one of the things that WWF actually did better in terms of money for the wrestlers. Um, You couldn't really count on a slice of that merchandising. But the NWO thing was huge, and I don't know what ended up selling more, Austin 316 or NWO, but it was neck and neck there for, you know, a few years. I mean, they were both, like, just... you know, tons right. of people had those shirts. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about, too, that is during a part that we already went over, is that first promo that Hogan cut with Hall and Nash, like the one that's like a video. Where, okay, the, and the Nash, paid advertisements. Yes, yeah. and Nash talking about it. Because like, we've since watched like multiple documentary right. type things on the NWO. And Nash talking about like them, you know, cutting that thing and him just like listening to hogan go off like an idiot and being and just like going back to the producers and just being like this isn't gonna work he doesn't yeah hogan didn't get what they were trying to do at first he was basically still cutting a traditional 80s wrestling promo yelling like he was you know on cocaine and the whole thing what you gonna do brother yeah like the (laughs) like the whole spiel just screaming into a microphone over the top and like colin nash were coming at this like Laid back, cool, we don't give a fuck. Right. You know. Chico. Whatever. Kind of cool. Like, they were injecting this cool reality that was kind of current in 96, 97. And Hogan, like, wasn't on board. Like, not that he disagreed with them. He just did wasn't getting that. You're he didn't right. understand what he was supposed to do. From a different generation. And it took a while. But ultimately, you know. We Once can, he did embrace it, though, he was great as, like, the. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Right. Like. 
ultimately that second act of his career became as iconic as the first half the hulkamania red and yellow say your prayers eat your vitamins like hollywood hogan was the biggest heel in wrestling for a couple years and was hugely over right like he was still such a terrible wrestler and he was only getting worse and worse all the time because of his age he wasn't able to really do basically anything his matches are terrible and yet, it didn't matter right. at all. Right. Like it was just like he was so over. Um, yeah, and I can remember too. That, like it was such a big thing because I never watched wrestling when Hulk Hogan was in it at all. But I can remember like that's the thing. I guess I just had that awareness of like what him being a good guy meant because I remember my dad like just flipping it over to Nitro one night, like well into the NWO, and they're like cutting one of their ridiculous promos with like 14 guys in the ring and like Hogan's like talking, just like trashing people getting booed. And I'm like, I just like, I was like, he's a bad guy now. Like I, it struck me even though like I had never even watched like, (laughs) and then you were hooked. Oh yeah. I was all in. Yeah. Um, I was like, who's this big Papa pump dude. He looks cool. (laughs) Oh God. So we kind of glossed over it there in the monologue. The, uh, the Giant joins the NWO, and I consider this to be the first blunder with the NWO storyline. Which is only like a month in, too. Exactly. And that, and just to say, that goes to show you how popular and how over the NWO was, because this was their first blunder, and it was very early on. We're only, this was probably like September-ish of 96, so that's like four months maybe since oh, okay. Hall came right. through the crowd and they're already fucking things up because it would go on, you know, for years at this point later, but like, it didn't matter. Like this, it was a stupid decision. It ended up not impacting anything. That's like how, yeah. Cause he was also the this idea first was. person to leave the group. Right. And I mean, that's fine too, because right. I, I liked the idea of you could go in or out. It was not a one way yes. street, but like, it didn't make any sense that he had just lost the title to Hulk Hogan and then was going to just join them. Right. <laughs> they already kind of messed up whenever a month before Bash at the Beach at the Great American Bash. Like how they had Bash There's, in yeah. two of pay-per-view names in a row. Big thing that stands out. Not that WWF is great at this, but uh, WCW's pay-per-view names stink. <laughs> well, Great American Bash was a holdover, I, th- I believe, from the pre- WCW yeah, yeah, whatever, like the Crockett promotions. Like there was Starcade, there was Super Brawl, although no, Super Brawl might have been a WCW only. I don't know. There was like Starcade, Clash of the Champions, and I believe Great American Bash is something that went back pretty far. But anyway, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Hall and Nash were there. They didn't have a match yet because they would still not be debuting until the next month's pay-per-view. They powerbomb Nash, or... Hall punches Eric Bischoff in the stomach, and then they powerbomb him off the stage through a table. Right, which Bischoff was doubling, doing commentary, and but people like you're aware that he is also the guy that like kind of yeah. It was it was kind of like when Vince McMahon was doing commentary. Right, people knew he owned the company, but it wasn't like talked about. But I think it was at least loose. I don't know when it starts being addressed, but he was still doing commentary during the Piper thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when that's when it kind of starts to really go the other way but um yeah i the only reason i brought up that great american bash thing is obviously you know we'll get to bischoff right joining. right 
which was similar to the giant. They it shows that they hadn't always thought everything through all the way. Yes, because they hadn't kept things consistent. As WCW's annual pay-per-view fall brawl approached, battle lines were once again drawn between WCW and the NWO. On the September 9th episode of Nitro, fans and wrestlers were fooled into thinking that Sting had joined the NWO. In a segment filmed in a parking lot, viewers at home saw what appeared to be Sting attack his longtime ally, Lex Luger, and then hop into a limousine with the NWO. In reality, it was a wrestler with a similar build and hairstyle named Jeff Farmer wearing Sting attire and face paint. Earlier we talked to Jumpin' Jeff Farmer. Let's go now to that interview. Folks, there's Jumpin' Jeff Farmer. Jeff, a while back, what a match you had with Motley. Yep. Probably the hardest match I ever had in my life. But I don't like it when things aren't going my way. Motley Cruz, you turn the tables on me. You turn the tables in a wrong way. You've got me mad now. I've stood around. I've listened to everything you had to say. I've did everything necessary. But when you turn around and you backstab me one way or another and you treat, cheat me out of what's rightfully mine, that's when I get angry. Now I'm the one doing the challenging. I'm issuing a challenge to you, Motley Cruz. Get in the ring with me. This time, I'm going full force. Jumping Jeff Farmer. Now let's go to the ring. The War Games match, which headlined the Fall Brawl pay-per-views, was a four-against-four double-ring steel cage match. Heading into the main event, only three wrestlers on each side had officially been named. Hogan, Hall, and Nash for the NWO, and Luger, Arn Anderson, and Ric Flair for WCW. Sting had originally been announced as the fourth man for WCW, but his participation was in doubt. Sting maintained his innocence, but his teammates did not believe him. No one knew for sure whether or not Sting had joined the NWO. During the match, the fake Sting was in fact the fourth man for the NWO, who fooled everyone, including the broadcast team, into thinking Sting had betrayed WCW. However, only moments later, the real Sting emerged, laid waste to the NWO, and left Team WCW, who were now fighting a four-on-three handicap match in which they lost. The next night on Nitro, Sting laid into his fellow wrestlers as well as the fans for doubting his true colors. Sting then began a retreat from the ring that would last for nearly 15 months. I was on an airplane flying from L.A. to Atlanta. When I got to Atlanta, I tuned in the TV to Nitro. And I thought I was watching a rerun. It was a very convincing film. Why won't he look at the camera? Often imitated, but never duplicated, though. And what else did I see? I saw people, I saw wrestlers, I saw commentators, and I saw best friends gout the stinger. That's right. Doubted the stinger. Like a little, a little, so little symbolism like here. We say, turned our backs on him, I and I guess he's he doing lives, it to us. I know where he works out. I'm going to go get it. So I said to myself, I'll just go into seclusion. I'll wait and see what happens on Saturday night. And I tuned in Saturday night, and what did I see? I saw more of the same, more doubt. Which brings me to Fall Brawl. I knew I had to get to Fall Brawl to get face-to-face with the total package to let him know that it wasn't me. 
And what I got out of that was, no, Sting, I don't believe you, Sting. Well, all I got to say is, I have been mediator, I have been babysitter for Lex Luger. I've given him the benefit of the doubt about a thousand times in the last 12 months. Yeah. What's he getting to? I don't like the, I don't like the tone the of this WCW at all. And I the WCW banner. And I have given my blood, my sweat, and my tears for WCW. I don't like where this is going. So for all of those fans out there and all those wrestlers and people okay, I mean, that never doubted the Stinger, I'll stand by you if you stand by me. all of the commentators all of the wrestlers and all of the best friends who did doubt me you can stick it from now on i consider myself a free agent but that uh -oh. doesn't mean that you won't see the stinger from time to time i'm gonna pop in when you least expect it so this was like the first great thing that they gave WCW. Because this has been a one-sided beatdown right. of a war from day one. Yes. And all of a sudden, the Sting thing. I don't know what else to call it. The Sting idea that they have emerges as like the one hope for WCW. And it kind of speaks to a different era in wrestling just to that they could have the patience for the long-term booking of this idea and let right. this thing grow Especially naturally. Especially like some of the other mistakes that they made. It's surprising that they were able to carry this part out. Now, granted, the end of it had some issues, but the way that it carries out, especially like with him cutting that last promo that he does where he just talks about uh, whatever, right. be, being like annoyed at every the people who are supposed to be his friends, and then he just doesn't talk for... Whatever it 15 is. 15 months, yeah. yeah. And I can't imagine for sure that they knew every where this was all going to go right away, but they at least understood that they had something. And then Scott Hall, you know, working behind the scenes, great mind for the business, <laughs> comes up with the idea to emulate The Crow, the movie The Crow, right. which is kind of a cult hit yeah. these days. People like it. There were sequels that were shitty. Uh -huh. Um Brandon Lee. But I mean it wasn't like the crow wasn't like um you know a Marvel Avengers movie. I no, mean, it wasn't no. like a big hit. It was kind I mean, of like an R-rated weird movie that not a lot of people actually saw. What year did that come out? <sighs> I don't know. I but mean I'm it's, thinking it, it, oddly enough like it probably wasn't that many years before that, but right, at but the I time like it I... felt like it had been a yeah. while. Well, I think it was 93 maybe. I was going to say at this point at this point when this NWO Sting stuff is happening, I feel like I I was seeing The Crow on like TNT and TBS or whatever or whatever channels were playing like movies like that cuz that's when I first saw that movie it was just like late night on like USA or something. It actually came out in 1994. So, it wasn't even like a fresh thing happening at the time and yet it worked brilliantly. Sting already wore face paint. He was known 
prior as having that bleach blonde short hair. Now, by this point, his hair had gotten longer and it was brown. He started dyeing it a little bit black after a while. He went to the black and white crow makeup. He wore a long trench coat, black. This is pre-Columbine. <laughs> you know, had the baseball bat, stood in the rafters, was this vigilante that kind of haunted yet protected WCW. You never were sure what he was thinking. And it was brilliant. They only had to use him for a few minutes a week, sometimes not yes, even there were at all. Like episodes and it was great. Of Nitro where he would just sort of walk through the tunnel up, you know, in the, the rafters. Room, right, in the rafters. And the camera would show him for a few minutes and the commentators would comment on it. And then he'd turn around and leave. And that was it for the episode. Yeah. And the continuity of the Sting storyline and the interest level that it was gaining, you know, garnering from the fans kept the NWO storyline relevant. It gave WCW an actual hope in this nonstop back and forth battle because other than Sting, they didn't really have anybody standing up and being like a huge part of it. The they had Luger, they had DDP, they had the Four Horsemen all who were mocked that, and beaten down endlessly. It was right. just like nobody other than Sting. And the weird thing is, is like there wasn't a ton. I mean, sometimes it would happen, but there wasn't really a ton of banding together by the WCW characters, which is strange. You you feel like groups would form from the ashes of these beatdowns, but. Little alliances would form here and there. I remember Luger and the Giant teamed up at one point. but Yeah, and sometimes the Four Horsemen would yeah. team up with the right. other guys. Yeah, WCW never really It was got never united. really like a stable war. Like it was NWO would take out different people at a time. Well, part of I think part of the issue was this popularity that it brought to WCW was uncharted territory. So they didn't, they knew that it was hot. And they knew why this w, this NWO thing was working. So they didn't know what to do with that. They didn't know where to go because they didn't right. want to end that storyline. And eventually we're going to reach what could have been a natural ending and it didn't end. And it still was popular for a whole other year after this. But like what they should have been hoping for and should have like if they had a good creative team was like, well, we can figure out how to take this and build something new for later right and evolve this but they never they just kept trying to recreate that original success and they would have you know so you know after this um fall brawl with sting beginning to retreat the nwo adds six who wrestled in wwf is one two three kid x-pac who would later go on to become x-pac um friend of holland nash and also Shawn michaels and triple h part of the clique they added Vincent, who as their head of security, who was uh, the Million Dollar Man's like manservant, <laughs> named Virgil. And this is what I was talking about with the names, because his name in WWF was Virgil, which was a knock on Dusty Rhodes, because that's Dusty Rhodes' real name, and they were making fun of Dusty Rhodes in WWF back in like the 80s. And so they called him Vincent in WCW, which was a knock at Vince McMahon. Okay. Then the NWO got its own referee, Nick Patrick, who turned evil. And then they also added Miss Elizabeth, who was kind of just a chick at this point that walked uh, around and did, added nothing right. other than her 
beauty. Yes, and also very like a kind of a jarring thing to watch or just puzzling. Was it was never clear if she was part of the NWO like consensually. It had a very rapey feel, especially seem at like first. Anything she does is consensual. <laughs> it's a, I don't know. I it just seems like she's constantly like a hostage. They yeah, trade you... her back to Macho Man as if like they're she's just property. Well, yeah, when she first is there's a whole thing like you brought up Hulk Hogan filming that Three Ninjas movie. There's a whole oh, yeah. there was a whole episode where like she's I in remember this trailer this. Right. and he's got like the fake hair and the whole bullshit right. and like it's always it's so weird and it never paid off and it never was explained. No, that's the other thing. It's like this ongoing thing and like Macho Man, I remember like being like so emotional about getting her back, but it's like I don't what is even going on? Like what is the explanation? Well, they always like to play on the fact that the smarter fans, you know, knew that Macho Man and Elizabeth had been married and then had divorced. And they always like to just throw in like these things that people knew that were real and like mix that into it. And so people, you know, it would kind of fool fans into thinking that every that more of what they were seeing was real. If right. They knew that this little thing was real or whatever. But to this point, other than Nick Patrick, who was a referee and the giant, who, again, I still think was a blunder. All of these other people had connections with WWF, you know, one, two, three kid, uh, Virgil slash Vincent and Miss Elizabeth. So, I mean, they're still kind of going with that idea of like, this is all former WWF people trying to take over WCW, which is a great storyline. Cue the arrival of Rowdy Roddy Piper. Um, longtime Hulk Hogan nemesis from WWF. Um, now the roles are going to be reversed. Hulk Hogan is the heel. Rowdy Roddy Piper is going to be the babyface signing to WCW to save the day. Right. Um, probably one of the better pay-per-view moments from when I was going through and watching this one. Piper f- first shows up at the end of whatever pay-per-view it was. Yeah, it was like a truly shocking moment, and it was a throwback to the mid-'80s, a lot of which, even though, like I said, the Southern wrestling fans didn't like WWF, it was such an old classic thing, their rivalry. Like but, his music hit, Hogan like freaking out in the ring. It just was like cool. It was one of the cooler moments from that. Yeah, Hogan gets a lot of criticism for a lot of things, a lot of burials in his career, a lot of shitty matches, a lot of looking out for himself. But he definitely did some good work on TV of selling fear for a lot of his opponents right. when he was working heel, whether it be Sting or Rowdy Rowdy Piper or eventually even like Ultimate Warrior or Goldberg or whoever it would be. He always was like great at like being right. the chicken shit heel, yes. which was so funny to me because uh-huh. it was like he's so huge and he had been like the unbeatable baby face up until the moment he turned heel and then all of a sudden he was scared <laughs> of everybody and it was great. Right. And this was a recurring theme for WCW, which was trying to recreate classic WWF rivalries with Hulk Hogan. I mean, that's all they really could ever figure out to do with him, even pre-NWO. Yeah, they really didn't build guys very well. The one, th- the one thing they delivered was the dream match Hogan versus Flair, which somehow WWF fucked up when Flair went to WWF in 91 and 92. They never were able to like get it together to do that right. right. A lot of people blame Hogan. Um, I'm sure. But... I don't know that they'd worked some house shows together and I don't think Vince liked it and just decided not to do it. So they gave us that the Hogan versus Flair when Hogan first came over. But other than that, it was Hogan versus Savage Hogan versus Rowdy Piper Hogan versus 
Ultimate Warrior, who they brought from a complete obscurity back to wrestling. I mean, they were just desperately trying to just recreate yeah. his classic things. Even like Big Bubba Rogers, Big Boss Man, that was, had been a big feud. They brought in Earthquake and renamed him a bunch of bullshit and had him in the Dungeon <laughs> of Doom at one point and had hit Hogan beat him. Like It was just nonstop. Even the Giant was Andre the Giant of Jace. Like, it was just right recycling all of his old things from WWF. But what's important about Rowdy Rowdy Piper is he would eventually force the reveal of Eric Bischoff as being a part of the NWO. It's nice to be back. You know what? I have come here to tell some truth. I have never heard so many lies in my entire life other than when I was saying them. I want to tell you something first. It's my honor to be back here because, you know, I got six kids. My first child was born in Charlotte, North Carolina in the Presbyterian Hospital. I told you with Hogan, while I was taking on all comers in a garage, he was playing in Tootsie's Bar and Grill. You know that highway? that goes from Charlotte to Columbia? While they were building it, I was driving it, being chased by the cops. I am king of the frat house. And I'm just a little peeled. I understand somebody's calling me a coward. Saying that I'm afraid, you know, there's a guy, his name is LL Cool J. He's a rapping kind of guy. He wrote a song that said, you slapped Roddy Piper and you didn't get a hassle. You're a liar. I come here to talk about jerks and liars. First of all, how you doing? Having a nice time? I'm sorry? I've had better. You've had better? <laughs> Such a great guy. <laughs> so you, you flew all the way to Portland to get this fight. You talked to my managers to get this fight. <laughs> What'd you fly? First class coach, how'd you fly? First class coach, what was it? First class coach, how'd you fly? Uh, what airline? Coach. What airline? I don't... Oh, I'll be <laughs> And you come on up to my ranch. When you come up to my ranch, tell me, is the road crooked or is the road straight? Tell me, is the road crooked? I don't or... remember. I don't remember. Tell me something. Now, now 
now that everybody realizes who everybody's working for. I mean, my God, this guy here was the foundation of the WCW. Now he works for the NWO. I'll tell you what, stand him up, but watch him. Watch him real close. Now, to me, this was like one of the still great things. We watched it again recently, and the execution to me wasn't as good as it could have been. But the build-up to it was great. Like, after Piper came out on that pay-per-view at the end, they would have Nitro go on, and Bischoff, who was doing commentary, wouldn't be there. And they'd check in with him via phone, and he'd talk about how he was trying to get uh, Piper to sign so he would come to a match and uh, fight for WCW against Hogan. Which, in retrospect, knowing how things work, they wouldn't have been talking about Piper if he wasn't actually going to do it. So it seems more obvious now like what was happening. But at the time, it's like, you know, no idea. Well, yeah, you're going to, you know, buy whatever. But And then when they reveal that this guy who's running WCW is like part of the NWO. It's like, oh shit. You know, like, what are you going to do now? Yeah, and it definitely that, changed the game because at that point... He was so much more effective. Like, that was so much more effective than the Ted DiBiase stupid explanation. Well, yeah, because at that point, you could then justify anything that they were doing because they had an in in WCW. Unfortunately, stupid Piper just like, he couldn't articulate what was happening here. It's yeah, like, his promos are... He's supposed to come out and like you know, drop truth bombs on everybody that, yeah, Bischoff was lying when he said he was trying to sign me and that there was hangups. And he just can't get that message across. And it's revealed so backhanded. Well, here's the thing. Like Piper and Flair and guys like that are the greatest on the microphone of all time, but their great work was not WCW during this era. And people gave them a free pass. And I think people would still act like this was great stuff. They just but go like, out and yell a bunch yeah, of bullshit. It was just, it, it, it it didn't ever made any sense. And then Piper, he has some good parts in this and there's some good stuff there. Like when he's saying something else and then you're a liar. Like he just like blurts that out. Like that was great. That was effective. It works. You start to, it starts to dawn on you slowly what's happening. I think the NWO rushing out happened at the wrong moment also, but it didn't matter. This, it, it worked great. Because yes. now it gave a whole new angle to... Further what? cementing, making the NWO seem more unbeatable. unbeatable. Oh, the other thing that was a huge miss, though, is not having commentators reacting to what was happening here. Well, yeah, they left just, like, Bobby the Brain and T- Mike Tanay, I right. think, at the time. Yes, and, like, to not have someone reacting... Flipping out like, like Jim Ross would have. Like, oh, my God, this is terrible. The guy that we've trusted has betrayed us all. It's like, no, these guys are just like... Oh, this is this is sickening. We'll see you next week. It's like <laughs> what they have the, about as much charisma as this podcast. <laughs> oh, how dare you! So this leads to a Hogan Piper feud with the first big match happening at their biggest pay per view, uh, Starcade, in which Piper wins via a sleeper hold, which was like his finisher. But it's wow. non-title. <laughs> It's a non-title match, which makes no sense. I, and it just kind of goes to... It, I, I remember whenever I was watching now, this is obviously, you know, I was 12 or 13 or whatever at this time. 
and this was a long time ago, and not, I obviously was flipping back to Raw, so I probably missed stuff, but I remember being stunned that Piper won the match and yet was not champion. It made zero sense right. to me at the time. I don't... I don't feel like they explained it enough that it was going to be non-title ahead of time. I don't understand how you could headline your big pay-per-view of the year with a non-title match. It didn't make any sense. And this was yet another blunder that would not really have any impact on the ratings. Because WCW would still continue to crush for another year. Um, So Bischoff displaces DiBiase as the mouthpiece. They issue an ultimatum to the WCW locker room saying you're either with us or against us. And they get Buff Bagwell, Mr. Wall Street, Big Bubba Rogers, and Scott Norton to join. Uh, both the losers. Mr. Wall Street and Big Bubba Rogers have WWF ties. Um, yeah, this was uh, kind of when the NWO expanded to a point that was unmanageable and ridiculous and stupid. <laughs> like, it just had no benefit to add these guys like right. it just clearly guys wanted to get into the nwo because it would guarantee them television time that they weren't otherwise going to get but from the company's perspective i don't know why they let certain guys in it seemed like if you were friends with someone who was in the nwo they might be able to get you in right kind of thing and it was just like silliness um however the giant would be the first person kicked out of the nwo after refusing to choke slam piper in an nwo assault so we kind of touched on that Right. Earlier, yeah, kind of a two-way street. The NWO belt is on the line right now, and the word that I heard is the brothers in the NWO have that rat sting cornered. So come on out, my friend, and take the whipping you so deserve. Wait a minute, the the, the belt is on the line. Verbal contract binding, I would think. How he, much time do we have? I don't, I don't know. Well, you know, they're doing this Hollywood. You know why they're doing this. I hate to disappoint you. You know that. And so far, I never have. But unfortunately, all of these people here, look at these guys here, man. They love you. They love you. All of you do. Unfortunately, Sting isn't going to be here. Because if he were, and he knows it, we would make him worship the ground you spit on. You know, Sting wants to be like me. Sting wants to have arms like me. Can't do it. But Sting, no matter how hard you try, there's only one oh my. Hollywood. Brother. Oh, yeah. I thought Bischoff looked under the ring. Which thing is it? You want some of this? There he is. Come on up. Hell, I take you on. There he is again. Sting. Stay down on your knees, you punk. Get down on your knees. Wait a minute. Hold on. Tell the truth, Stinger. You wish he looked under that, that you were half the man that Hollywood is. Yes or no? 
That is I not. Knew it. That is not Sting. No. For who's he? Who's he trying to fool here? Hulk Hogan at his Hollywood. Make him do it, man. Make him do it. Make him worship the ground you spit on. Do it. Face first. Worship the ground that this great man spits on. This is horrible. This is absolutely yes. horrible. Oh, Tony, look at this. Look at this. You're a coward. Sting is here. What a coward. Goodbye, Eric Bishop. Get him. Get Logan. Get Logan. Yes. The thunder you hear is about to be your rear end. Hogan's beginning to smell funny. Oh. Hogan. Oh. So, so why doesn't Hogan get in the ring? You know why. He don't want any part of that man. Come on. He's backpedaling now. Come on, Ben. Come on, Ben. From there, the NWO continued to grow and grow to the point where the storylines became disjointed, confusing, and unruly. Hogan feuded with the now excommunicated giant and Rowdy Pi- and Rowdy Roddy Piper. While an inevitable confrontation with the enigmatic vigilante Sting inched closer and closer. The rest of the faction continued to cheat in any way possible to continue coming out on top. Randy Savage, one of the original three Team WCW wrestlers from back at Bash at the Beach, turned heel and joined Hogan. Eventually, tensions within the group itself became the focal point of storylines. Bret Hart, the last major former WWF signing for WCW, showed up but only further muddied the waters. It all led to the Hogan vs. Sting main event of WCW's biggest pay-per-view, Starcade, the following year, taking place in December of 1997. So we kind of jumped through most of 97 there. From what I remember... A lot of those pay-per-views were pretty repetitive. Oh uh, yeah. Well, going through and watching this as I did like this past year, I mean th- these pay-per-views stink. They're not better than Nitro. <laughs> I, the Nitros oh, yeah. are better. The Nitro was the focal point, um, which is weird. So it's like I, I kind of remember like a lot of this wrestling blends together for me, or it did blend together for me from the late nineties. Like I just remember watching Raw and like flipping back and forth to Nitro. So it's like. I just remember a lot of it being like pretty similar, but it's like WWF during this time was like so good at making things seem exciting with their promo video packages, like in between matches at pay-per-views. Uh, WCW had none of that. Like no. people would just walk out regular for matches, uh, have a match, pin over, not a lot of like weirdness, and then they'd have like the main event, like. Not a lot of storylines that really mattered at the pay-per-views. So this is kind of a, a thing that eventually would lead to the demise of WCW, and it's kind of good that you're picking up on it, because basically all WCW cared about was the ratings on Monday night. That's it. They treated Monday night Nitro as if it was the only thing that mattered, yet they charged the same amount of money per pay-per-view that WWF was charging. WWF... For better or for worse, some of their pay-per-views were terrible, some were great, but they were always trying to make the pay-per-views the big deal. And they tried to make them seem like they mattered. And that even like if a match was terrible, 
they would have this kind of like cool, well-produced promo package like leading up to it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's simple business. Um, your customers paying money, and you should treat them with respect. <laughs> give them try to try your best to give them their money's worth. Where WCW was basically shitting all over people who were paying for their pay-per-views. Right. Um, the matches ended in non-finishes all the time. They would have pay-per-views. They would have things that didn't make sense happen all the time. Yeah, and they would have pay-per-views at like these outdoor uh, biker rally things. Which well, that was once a year. Yeah, that might sound cool, but it's not. And it's, also, they made no money for those because they look terrible. It was free, yeah, it's just like this outdoor thing. I don't think there's like any. I mean, free to attend in person, not to get on pay-per-view. Right. So during this time period leading up to the big Sting Hogan thing, they start fucking around with like Dennis Rodman, Carl Malone, Jay Leno, and all these kind of gimmick matches. Right. Although this was cool because it was like the rest of the world of entertainment kind of bleeding into wrestling and wrestling bleeding into yeah. entertainment. And uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds repugnant now. Right. But at the time, it seemed cool. Yes. And, like, you know, WWF was Bischoff also gaining Leno, a lot like, of steam. Bischoff and Leno going back and forth, like, on The Tonight Show or whatever. I don't know which one Leno was the host of, but... Yeah, The Tonight Show. Yeah. And then, like, you know, shortly thereafter, you know, in 98, when WWF finally was getting its head out of its ass completely with the Stone Cold thing, you know, they got in with Tyson and right. that shit. And so a lot of this was happening around, you know, the same time period. Yes. And wrestling was just, like, super huge and both Raw and Nitro were getting ratings on a weekly basis higher than uh, Monday Night Football. I mean, it was nuts what was happening. Like, wrestling was so huge. Nowadays, you know, their ratings for just WWF, which is the only one that exists, it's now WWE, are a fraction of what they were getting weekly. And this was two separate shows, each getting these huge ratings. Right. The NWO continued to expand, uh, adding guys like Conan, Kurt Henning, Louis Spicoli, Dusty Rhodes, who wasn't even an active wrestler. No. Scott Steiner, Brian Adams, who had wrestled in WWF as Crush. Hey. It, I mean, it was insane at this point. You'd have 68 people in the NWO. There was, they lost sight of what being in the NWO was all about. Right. They, it lost the cool factor. If anybody could be in it, then why was it cool? Right. Although it still seemed cool for a little while to me. <laughs> because I would just like tune in and just see these guys take like 45 minutes to get to the ring. Wearing like leather jackets and just all <laughs> like throwing arms around each other. You know, I don't know. There's no other way to say it, especially at the ages that we were probably during this. These guys were fucking cool. Right. <laughs> like, this was yeah. like, God, I yeah, want to be these people. I was really, you know, stumbling to reach a, a point there, but you really just wrapped it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's weird, you know, as a guy now in my 30s to say it, but it's like I was a lot younger back then. This We're, right. th we're, we're doing this episode during the 20-year anniversary of the start of the NWO. This yeah. is 20 years ago. These guys were like heroes to me. Like These right. guys were like, I was like, I want to be this cool. I yeah. want to be Kevin Nash. He, he was funny. He said what he seemed to say and do whatever he wanted. And, you know, nothing the NWO did was as direct and got over as big as what Stone Cold Steve Austin would eventually do, you know, feuding with his quote-unquote boss, Vince McMahon, and how great that was. 
But like these guys were kind of a precursor to that idea. Yeah. The kind of like, fuck you. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm cool. And it's like they had this gang of guys and it was like awesome. Yeah. I wanted even when they did stupid shit like and repetitive shit, it didn't matter because it was just like you waited till the NWO came out and it was great no matter what. Yeah, I can remember I wanted to be six. I mean, little did I know it wouldn't be uh, that difficult to become a full-blown alcoholic, but... Or to... Never mind. I'm not, I was going to make a joke about China, but... Oh. <laughs> so, and the weirdest part of this, though, is like, like I said, I thought they were so fucking cool, and yet I loved Sting, too. And Sting oh, was yeah. the one warrior fighting against right. the NWO. That's the thing. The whole thing was great. Yeah. At and- that time. And so it led to that match in 1997, and this should have been the culmination of the greatest storyline in the history of forever, and yet somehow, someway, WCW fucked it up. Right. There was, The payoff was so terrible. So finally, Sting gets a title shot. After 15 months, he's back, and I don't know. I mean, I feel weird just saying things that, you know, without knowing exactly some people know. Claim, allegations. Well, some people claim that Hulk Hogan, you know, wanted to back out of doing the favor, you know, putting over Sting. Um, there was a lot of disagreements on how the finish would be for the match. Um, Hogan, one of the only wrestlers ever to have creative control written into his contract. Always which a good idea. That should never be done. So he technically could invoke that and not do anything he didn't it's want like to do. It's like if you're making a TV show and uh, Don Draper, John Hamm's just like, well... I have, I, w- I have creative control. I'm not doing that. I want Don Draper to kill himself. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's 32 episodes left or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Bret Hart had just joined the company coming off of... Completely uh, the worthless. The infamous Montreal... Screw job, which may someday be a future episode of this podcast. I don't know. It's going to be hard to do another wrestling one. So, oh, yeah. uh, anyway, he gets involved in the match. Um, Jesus, there's like a giant bug. <laughs> the ref was supposed to do a fast count. It was Nick Patrick. He was supposed to do a fast count when Hogan pins Sting. You know, cheating Sting out of the victory. Bret Hart is going to overturn the decision because he was a special ref for the night. Somehow right. he had been, he was actually a special ref for a completely different match. I guess when you get that bestowed upon you, you can you keep get it, it for yeah. the whole night, right? So he's going to reverse the decision, restart the match. Sting ends up winning. Now the only problem is Nick Patrick did not count fast. In fact, seemed to be counting even slower than a regular count for Hogan's pin, which then. Oy. To the people watching at home, Hogan just won the match fair and square, and the people in the arena especially. Everyone's confused as to what's happening. Bret Hart gets in the ring and is like screaming, no, not again, thus you know, playing off of the Montreal Screwjob from the month before, <laughs> which was an actual what a, thing. And then like... What an abomination. How did they do that like that? I don't know. They should have just not even fucked around with a weird ending. It should have just been Sting won the match clean. Right. With no weird ending. Yes. And everybody would have been happy with that. And it would have been great. <laughs> Including uh, Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I wondered do you- now. Bret Hart wrote in his book that he thought that Nick Patrick just forgot to count fast. He didn't, even though he always takes every opportunity to bash Hogan. He didn't seem to blame him for this. 
Sting in his most recent WWE DVD thing that they did, he seemed to be more questioning of Hogan. I've heard various things with Bischoff where he kind of defends Hogan's stance because Sting hadn't wrestled in so long and wasn't doing a great job of staying in shape. And they were kind of concerned about a lot of things going into the match with that. I don't know. I mean, well, what I mean, what does that have to do with faking the count and messing up? I don't. Well, I think like Hogan was questioning whether or not they should hand the title to him. Oh, at all. But I mean, in storyline, well, you, yeah, you, you had already painted yourself into that corner. Right. There was no going back. Yes, or at least I mean, if that is the case, then I think that discussion can be had before the match. Like, hey, we've come to a decision. It's not going to be a fast count, right? I don't know. What do you mean? What's not going to? I just mean okay. In Hogan's like fake defense of the reason why. Well, they did have these conversations going on all day, trying to figure well, out what was going to happen. Why didn't Bret Hart know that it was like? Why wasn't Bret Hart brought up to speed that this it was going to be? I don't understand. Well, Bret Hart didn't make the fast count. It was Nick Patrick. Right, right. Well, but, he he was saying that he just felt like Nick Patrick forgot to do it. So, but my your whole thing where you're saying... The, the other theory is that Hogan told Nick Patrick not to do the fast count. Right, and Hogan's defense of that was that he felt like Sting... No, his be- his defense of complicating the issue the day of... Not his defense of telling Nick Patrick. Oh. He's never admitted that. To oh, okay. That. And no right. one's ever said, you know, said for sure that that happened. Gotcha. But his defense of like, like making it making it a big deal of like became... trying to work out this finish all day up until hours, you know, before the pay per view, they're still trying to figure out what they're gonna do, which is always a good sign, right? So then, you know, post that match. The NWO would go on and on and on and on. Um, now, do you know from the stuff... I know you've done like some reading on this. What the plan was if Sting did win this match? Like, was it going to Well, come? he did win the match, and he did get the title. Oh. Once Bret Hart restarted. Right, it, And okay. then they vacated the title shortly thereafter. Like, probably immediately after, right? I mean, like... Uh, it may have been the next night on Nitro. Okay, I'm so... I'm not sure. But it I mean, was, I... Or I'm, no, it may have... May have been the first episode of Thunder. What I'm saying, though, is Sting wins the match clean. He goes on to be the champ. Does did that? Was that going to have implications for the NWO storyline? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. It definitely seems like they were booking a lot of this on the fly, right? Um, unlike Vince, who usually will book like to the next year's WrestleMania and work his way back, and you know, obviously stuff changes. And a lot of times, none of the stuff he writes down actually ends up happening because of injuries or different crowd reactions or whatever but at least there's a plan and then adjustments are made to the plan whereas wcw didn't seem like there was any plan and they were just kind of coming up with it as they went so then you know it's kind of not important to get into like where the belt went from there i mean hogan of course ends up with it again eventually the nwo at this point jumps the shark yet would continue to get the high ratings, like I said, for another whole year. Um, They started to incorporate real-life stories and riffs into it. Um, Six was released from the company when he was injured, ends up in WWF as X-Pac, joins D-Generation X. Yeah, which I was reading about that the other day, and I mean, you know, I don't know what the hell is true, what's written out there, but it seems like... uh, 
they were saying that he was getting released from his contract at WCW and he was supposed to go to rehab, but he didn't. <laughs> I mean, because he was in WWF like four days later. Yeah, well, whatever the reason, it pissed off Nash and Hall. They didn't want friend. him to be released, right? No. And, you know, Scott Hall was dealing with his alcoholism pretty hardcore at this point, and they started to eventually incorporate that into it. Hall was kept off of TV for long periods of time because of it, um, which upset Nash. Um, and it just got weird, and they right. eventually split the N- NWO Hollywood and NWO Wolfpack with Nash leading the Wolfpack and Hulk Hogan leading NWO Hollywood, and they would feud. And at that point, all illusion of the NWO being this real right. thing that, I mean, granted, everyone well, knows. Yeah, Because yeah. everyone knows wrestling is right. a work, but the idea is to suspend your disbelief. But all illusion of that disappears once you start doing and now two versions of the NWO and they're feuding with each something other. Something completely different. Although it had... A little fun run with this stuff, too. Uh, n- not nearly as good as the, the older stuff, but, I mean, th- I mean, the Wolfpack was, like, pretty popular and stuff, but this was, like, what was crazy to me. It's, like, Sting, the hero, the I stand for WCW, is in the Wolfpack. Like, well, the Wolfpack were baby faces. I know, but it's still... Uh, the fact that he's in any NWO at all, to well, me, that, is insane. It, the NWO name by this point was so devalued um, that if it wasn't for the emergence of a new star, I think WWF would have completely turned the tide earlier than they ended up. Right. And that was Bill Goldberg who kept WCW going. He started as a pretty generic muscular looking version of Steve Austin. He had the shaved head, the goatee, the black trunks bigger. Obviously he was a former football player. Right. Um, and he kind of started in a very plain way. I don't think he even had entrance music. Um, he kind of seemed like, a just another nameless jobber, but I think they plucked him out of their, um, developmental, which was called the power plant or whatever. And they had high hopes for him, but Terrible I don't think they name. they knew where how high this was gonna go. Um, and he got over just by pure brutality. I mean, he had a devastating looking spear. His finishing move, the jackhammer, was cool. Right, pretty cool, yeah. Couldn't do very much. Right. Couldn't wrestle a ten minute match to save his life, but he didn't <laughs> have to because he just beat everybody very quickly. And that's right. how that's the that's a tried and true formula for getting people over. And he was somehow like increasing his wins exponentially he was winning like 25 matches a week (laughs) well yeah they they went with the undefeated gimmick um which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't in the case of Goldberg it worked because he was over in general like if you're using the undefeated streak to try to get someone over it usually doesn't work but if it's part of someone that's already popular and gaining popularity then it just adds to it and Got yeah, the the totals, his win totals started, <laughs> it started normal, and then it started increasing so much every week that was like, all right, even if, if he was wrestling some house shows, it still wasn't enough. Like, it was just, by the time, you know, then they had him kind of go through, like, the normal channel. Like, he ended up winning the U.S. title off of Raven, and then I believe, you know, they they couldn't hold off for very long. Like, uh, it eventually led to, um, 
Hogan versus uh, Goldberg for the title. Well, Goldberg knows right now what he's in there with, what he's heard about his whole life, how tough this man Hogan can be, what this man's capable of doing, and he knows right now firsthand what Hogan's all about. Comes a time in every great athlete's career where you got to dig down deep, where you got to suck it up, where you got to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you belong here. For Goldberg, the time is right now because the champ is leveling with everything. Hogan with those patented leg drops has delivered two, and here comes Kurt Hennig to ringside. And we've got company. There's Malone and DDP following Hennig. He kicked out from the Hogan leg drop. That has Hollywood stunned. Yes, yes, Malone can use the diamond cutter. And look at Goldberg. He's ready. Him off. Finish him off. He's calling for it. This is it. This is it. Your career's on the line here. Do it. Do it. This place will erupt when he picks him up. He's got him up. And so their mega popular babyface, Bill Goldberg, undefeated still, wins the title. However, this was on a Monday Nitro for free on television. Now, granted, it was at a huge show for them. They sold out the uh, Georgia Dome. It was a huge crowd for a a Monday Nitro. Um, But they didn't really make any money from the match. They could have made a huge pay-per-view buy, probably their biggest ever exceeding Hogan versus Sting. You know, that just plays into the WCW downfall that would continue from that point forward. In fact, I mean, you could say that their last truly great moment was Goldberg winning the title from Hogan on Monday Nitro. From there, they ruined the Goldberg streak pretty quickly by having... I don't even remember, like... He ended up losing the title to Kevin Nash by having Scott Hall return and use a cattle prod and shock uh, Goldberg. I forgot they would start to incorporate cattle prods. <laughs> well, that wasn't the first time. That was something WWF had done that. No, with I know. The That's ca- what I mean. Like the Mountie back in the day. But, I just remember like wrestling using cattle prods. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what? I mean, I, it's so funny. Like, I mean, I'm sure cattle prods are a real thing. I've just never heard of them outside of wrestling. Right. <laughs> Yeah, like, and then so Nash wins the title, and Nash was pretty popular at this point. Granted, he kind of turned heel by cheating to beat Goldberg, 
Although he wasn't happy. I remember the storyline. He wasn't like happy that Hall did this because Nash was a baby face going into this match, which also didn't make any sense because Goldberg was too. But And then they betray everyone by doing the finger poke of doom uh, <laughs> where they build up a Hogan versus Nash match on another Nitro because, you know, it's still two f- separate NWOs at this point. And Hulk Hogan just pushes his finger into Nash, who then flops to the mat, and they count the one, two, three, and Hogan's now the champion, and they reunite one NWO. Confirming WCW stinks. Yeah, and that from that moment on, they never won the ratings again, pretty much. It was just a disaster. And there are a million things that they did wrong. I mean, we're only really scratching the surface because this is primarily focusing on the NWO. WCW in general was just a complete disaster from behind the scenes to what ended up, you know, in front of the camera. But, and so we can't really get into all that. This is not the death of WCW podcast. But, you know, needless to say, it was it didn't take very long until they uh, went completely under and Bankrupt. were going to be off yeah. TV and... Vince McMahon was able to come in and scoop them up and add WCW to his empire. Yeah, I mean, things didn't get uh, much better in the post-NWO days. Uh, WCW would go on to have world champions such as David Arquette, uh, Vince Russo. Yep. (laughs) A lot of great stuff going on. (sighs) Yeah, and it's a shame because, I mean... They had, at one point, their roster was as stacked as you could ever imagine. They had legitimate great in-ring workers. They had all like a ton of huge stars. They had the Cruiserweights, which was completely new and different from anything else in American wrestling at the time. They had, in my opinion, the greatest commentator in the history of the sport, Tony Schiavone. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Schiavone stinks. <laughs> I don't know how you could even say that, having ever heard jim ross at all even as a joke (laughs) um the other thing about goldberg was he had a really cool intro you know with the security right yeah his music was very epic i mean they did like the whole who's next thing like he'd beat somebody in like three minutes and then be like who's next it was it was it was good i mean it was the one thing that they had going for them post hogan versus sting which gdp uh was pretty big too yeah, DDP got over pretty big uh, as a guy that never joined any NWO, neither right. did Goldberg. Um, but everyone else at some point seemingly was in one version or another of yeah. NWO. It was terrible. Um, and it, it took something that was really cool and different and ruined it. And then eventually, after WCW folded and was you know brought under the umbrella of WWF, which became WWE, uh, they tried like a... A version of NWO in WWF, but it never really worked oh, because the stupid the whole it wasn't like the cool thing about NWO was it wasn't just a typical wrestling faction. It, right, it's not just guys wearing a T-shirt and hanging out together. It was supposed to be a hostile takeover of a company, and just bringing three guys in as the NWO like they did in WWF. It just didn't make sense. Plus, it didn't like, mean anything. I know it was only like a few years later. Or a couple of years later, I guess. But Hall and Nash and Hogan just looked so old by the time they were in WWE. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that out of the three of them, the one who I think had the best run out of those three was Hogan, and he was definitely the oldest. Yeah. Like 
Hall and Nash in that return NWO thing didn't really do anything. Didn't Nash just Hall get, like, was injured? In, yeah, Hall was a complete disaster, and because of his you know personal problems, before he's Nash life- was continuously injured. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is before Hall's a uh, life-changing uh, DDP yoga. <laughs> So, any final thoughts on the New World Order? No, I think we got a lot of thoughts out there. <laughs> it was hugely influential to not only wrestling, but to pop culture, I think. At oh, the time. totally. Tot- anyone that pretends like it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, there was just like a ton of kids in my school just oh, yeah. acting it out. I just and- remember even at this time, it's like like chicks watched wrestling. Oh, but, yeah. Like- and I mean, this became it became more a WWF thing. In my school, at least, once the Attitude Era really hit its peak. But, like, yeah, I mean, talk on the bus, school bus in the morning, on the way to, like, ninth grade. I mean, girls were talking about it. I remember, like, people, like, recapping Roz and, like, going over the, you know, the cliffhanger endings and whatnot. I mean, it was, like, it was just a huge thing. And it's, like, it's weird. It's just, it was a time and a place. I think it just, like I said, it, it... it perfectly it was like the, fit uh, into what was going on in the world back then. That era of wrestling was like uh, the OC, the way you described that. <laughs> yeah, but I think even I think like wrestling. I mean, I don't know the OC probably because it was on like regular TV probably had like good ratings or whatever. But like it, and I don't remember the OC ever being even that popular. Like well, it was yeah. just like this but was just, just like idea. well the NWO like this that burning fast and bright and yeah. then just yep. And now, you know, so here we are. Good Lord. How long was this episode? I don't know. Like, well, it's probably not as long as you think. Oh, okay. You were um, kind of like uh, the sword and scale dude a little bit on this one. With <laughs> oh, your little, God. <laughs> with your little readings. <laughs> Please. Be asking for money here soon. Begging I'm not going to ask for money, back. but I am going to ask that you subscribe to the show. Please. <laughs> Tell your friends. <laughs> It's good to beg. You know, well, if you just are like an occasional listener of the show, please just subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Just do it. Um, I found out that there's some people that just prefer listening to it on Podbean. Is that true? Well, one person. All right. Yeah. I was talking about how sad I was about the Bug Juice episodes going away. And they were like, oh, I just listened to it on Podbean. So they're all there. <laughs> they can explore the library at will. Absolutely. Which I recommend for everyone who is late to the party. We not all of our early episodes are good. In fact, I I, I would say nice to there's some that we would like to just kind of erase from the first like what is it, five or whatever the are thing terrible. Where we, yeah. I mean it was dangerous to announce the episode at the beginning of every one, like keep them numbered. <laughs> So it's just like we can't erase them from history now, but I mean, I think it's, it was a it was a learning experience, and we've grown and we've evolved. Always getting better. <laughs> We're working our way to the top to become the face of the podcast industry. <laughs> and on that note, uh, we'll see you next time. I would say probably expect a more traditional episode. This one was a little bit of a different kind of thing. A lot of uh, reading, <laughs> and uh, all right. See you later. <laughs>